Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. It will ensure that you stay in the know and get further insights into the podcast, not to mention insider stuff about me and Now Hear This Incorporated, including some exclusives. So be sure that you're on the list to receive all the content published in there every Wednesday, sent straight to your email inbox. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Colorado, my guests perform and record in the Boulder area as a group called Take Two, having just released an album in the second half of April. He is a pianist, composer, and vocalist who has created and released over 30 CDs of original music, and he has been on this show before, well over three years ago, on episode 207. She is a composer, performer, and teacher, and is the owner and founder of Boulder Music and Real Kids. All of her large-scale musical compositions, some over 60 performers, were successfully and completely funded with grants, donations, and commissions. And it is said that she found that her niche in the composition world was to not have a niche, but rather never limit herself or others. You've been hearing a song of theirs called Love's Refrain. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Kari Krakovic, and welcome back, Joshua Rich. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Glad to have you both here. Thanks for making time for this. Of course. Before we start into all that the two of you have been doing, let's have you talk first about the song that was just playing called Love's Refrain. Sure. Um, This is one of the songs we wrote together for the album. Uh, We wrote this one particularly with an idea of paying homage to all of our favorite songs from the time period that the music of the CD is, which is like from the 1920s to the 1940s, which is a time period we really relate to. And we always say that we think we were born in the wrong time period. <laughs> that time period really um, and so if you look at the lyrics closely, each line um, is going up in number and it's associated with a lyric from one of our favorite songs. So Little Jazzbird is uh, from a Gershman song that's actually on the album as well. And so we just uh, made the lyrics match the songs. And it's one of my favorite songs, actually, from the CD. I think it's got a very pretty bridge. And yeah, just another, just one of the examples of the songs that we worked on together. It was a real fun compositional challenge because um, we knew we wanted to pay homage to all these different types of songs. And so we tried to pick our favorite lyrics and our favorite songs from that time period like My Funny Valentine and find funny lyrics that might like actually work within the sequence of our form. And so you'll see about 16 different references um, to different wonderful standards. Wow. Wow. I wonder, is it difficult to write a song in the style of the 1920s or is it, no, Bruce, it's just treat it like a different genre. It's like asking me, is it more difficult to write a country song than a pop song? Or was it, in fact, challenging because music was done so differently back then? 
That's a really good question. Um, well, it's kind of a question that has a couple different answers. Um, Kari and I are different kinds of composers. So that was one thing where we were coming together and we write. It's kind of a Lennon and McCartney thing where, where they really, the tension between their different writing actually really helped each other. I think that Kari and I have a similar thing where we bring out different things in each other's writing that wouldn't normally be there. So there's that. And then also, but we, we love this style of music. So it ne- wasn't necessarily difficult to put that hat on and be thinking that way because we just love the style already. Um, so I guess I'd say it's not necessarily a challenge to write in a different style, especially if you love that style. Um, but then we had the, we had the extra added um, kind of newness and also excitement and learning curve of creating together. Cause like I would go to a certain chord and I would maybe do something I would normally do. And she'd be like, no, let's try this. Which I was like, what, why would that work? And then it would work. And I think that was so, yeah. So anyway. Mm, well, for instance, Cindy which is really hard to play in and one of my favorite keys. And at one point he turned to me and goes, you just want to play all the black keys that you're just trying to play all the black keys, aren't you? <laughs> well, and it doesn't have to harmonically go there. Well, yes, it does. It's two five. And so we both kind of learned, um, a lot from each other. I've definitely learned to be more traditional in my form, which I think is def- it's most certainly reflected in the songs that we write together because there's a definite form to them and it's really reflective of that era. And I think he's learned to be uh, take a little bit more risks kind of from my atonal background. Um, so it's been a good balance. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. Last night, I had to take a long drive somewhere, which gave me the time to listen to a recent interview that I had booked one of my clients into. Had that not been the case, I would have listened to the same podcast that I played the last time that I had driven to that same destination. It's from a man who has had what you might call a most varied career as a composer and record producer. His name is Peter Link, twice nominated for a Tony Award on Broadway and with a million-selling record to his credit and winner of the New York Theater Critics Drama Desk Award Peter Link has seen great success in film scoring, Broadway musicals, pop music, gospel, television, and he's even written ballets for the Joffrey Ballet. Now his podcast, Scattershot Symphony, is making a splash on the global stage. With downloads in more than 50 countries, listeners all the way from Manhattan to L.A. and Montreal to Mogadishu can hear Peter share his life's work through a series of musical arrangements and anecdotes that inspired the music. The podcast explores topics like romance in the episode Songs of Love and Heartbreak or the influence that gospel music had on him in the episode The Gospel Truth. Sounds fun, right? That's Scattershot Symphony, the music of Peter Link. Look for it on most podcast platforms. Joshua, Kari, congratulations on the new album, which, as I mentioned in the intro, came out in the second half of April. Share with the audience all about that project. Um, it's, a uh, seven original songs and five, I guess, covers for lack of a better word, but, uh, remakes of, uh, songs from the same time period that the style of the music is and that we wrote. So it's music from the 1920s to the forties. I call it, um, kind of old fashioned jazz because a lot of the jazz from the fifties and up isn't quite as accessible or melodic as the music was from the twenties on up until the fifties. And so that's the music I grew up with, the Gershwin, the Cole Porter, the Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. So it's music that's in that vein. And we both love that time period. And we um, 
kind of just organically decided to create songs that we thought would fit that style and just came together really quickly. And we came up with a lot of originals. We actually have a few more that we've been working on that'll be on the next album. So we're already ahead of ourselves. Wow. Um, or behind. So yeah, it was a really, really fun project. And I just, I, I love sharing it with people and it's gotten great response. People love the wholesomeness of it, the simplicity of it, um, and how it kind of harkens just back to a simple time because as that music always gets people, it's just a timeless period of um, music, uh, the American songbook. It's quite uh, extraordinary how it really uh, hit, how it hits people so warmly. I want to pick on the breakdown that you described, seven originals, five remakes. I'm tempted to call them cover songs, but I feel like with that time period, we should probably be using the word standards. Would that be fair? Yeah, and... You know, it's like it just doesn't feel elegant enough to call them a cover because right. the song period, the, the period, again, classy. Um, I would probably just call them rearrangements of um, the standards mm. of the of standards. The covers is really a word you would associate more with stuff that from the '60s on, pop music and rock music more, or country songs. Um, but the the standards from the '20s and the '30s and the '40s. Uh, you would probably just say that you rearranged them or you remade them. Um, and yeah, standard is the correct word. All the music that Frank Sinatra sang, but he didn't write any of his songs. All those songs were written by other composers. A lot of the songs would come from musicals of the time, um, and they would be actually pop songs on the radio often. And they've become so familiar and so well-known that they now are just the standard kind of song which is why they're called standards. Okay, but did you actually do new arrangements, or is it, no, this is just Kari and myself performing the songs the way they were originally written, and it's just our, I don't even want to say interpretation of them, it's just our performance of them the way they were originally done? Um, no, they're rearranged for our for our performance. Um, we didn't do too much. You kind of have such perfect songs, you kind of want to just get out of the way and let the song <laughs> be heard. We, we tinkered a little bit with intros and a little bit with endings and some solos. Um, so they're definitely our version of the song, okay. for sure. Well, no, a lot of times the radio version songs um, in years prior don't include something called the verse, which is kind of like an intro, a sung intro in a completely different tempo and sometimes a different key than kind of the hooky part of the song. Um, and so my favorite thing to do is to find these 1920 songs and rediscover the verses, which you have to go into really old books mm. and even find those verses, not something you can music note or whatever other software. They don't even exist on those. You have wow. to find the verses originally or maybe write them out. In some of our cases, we actually found recordings and wrote them out. Wow. Um, so that's been a really fun like nuance. It was originally in the song, but usually isn't performed and so a lot of people don't even recognize the song because the first minute is this beautiful verse well that's another difference between the song form itself is that the verse in that case was the setup to the whole song um it was a standalone piece of music that had nothing to do with the song itself other than setting up the song but the music the melody of the verse and the chords would not you wouldn't see them again and then the song mm. itself would be called the refrain wow. and then within the refrain there may be a little bit of a bridge as opposed to pop music where it's like, it starts with the verse, goes to the chorus, verse goes to the bridge. So the word, even the, even the structure of those songs is different than um, current, you know, music from the fifties and sixties on. Yeah. So it's really so. And it, 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 gorgeous. And they're wonderful to, to rediscover. 
But when you say that there are seven originals and five remakes of standards, how tough was it to limit it to just five and resist the temptation to say, these songs are so beautiful, let's be humble and not put much of our own original music on it. Let's go heavier on remakes. Um, we were a little limited by how many songs we could actually um, put on the CD that were actually available to the public domain um, because it's a little bit tricky to get into the mechanical licensing and royalties of, of songs. So to keep things a little bit simpler, we just tried to find the songs that were public domain. So that shortened the list there because there's so many that we would put on. Um, so that helped a little bit. And that's another really good question. I don't, I don't know that we really worried about that. I think, I think that the songs that we wrote are strong enough and can stand next to, I mean, I tried really hard to make the songs be able to stand next to those standards. Um, and I'm proud of them. And I, I think they do. I, I have such respect for those writers. So I hope, I hope that they do anyway. And I think that's how we, I was approaching it. And out of that public domain list, we still picked songs that maybe weren't as reported right. um, as before. So a little gem of a song and an example is a little jazz bird. And it's a Gershwin song that, Maybe a couple of singers have done. Maybe I don't. Know. I don't think I even knew it before. Blossom Deary did it in the seventies, <laughs> but that's about it. Wow. And to remake those um, and redefine them as gems has been fun, and they do. They do very much mix into our originals, which were again in that same era of style. So you talked a little bit before about what you kind of learned from one another in terms of each other's style as you were putting this album together. But just talk more about the dynamic involved in recording your first album together. For instance, Joshua, I mentioned in the intro that you've done over 30 CDs of original music in your career. So clearly you've developed a rhythm, no pun intended, when it comes to the recording process, but now you've got a duo partner. So was there a discussion about which one of you would be kind of taking the reins and calling the shots on this album, or was it we'll let the engineer or the producer be the tiebreaker, or what? How how did all that go? And, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, and you self-recorded and, and self-produced. No, no, we, well, we kind of both co-produced the album with um, an engineer and who also did a little bit of producing. I mean, producing is really like directing a movie version of, an, of the album. So it's the person kind of steering the ship. Um, so we had a very good friend um, and colleague of ours and engineer named George Laxon. Um, and he would step in with the producer hat now and then with some ideas. But in general, I mean, as everything with Kari and I, um, everything just really is very easy. It's very organic. And there really wasn't any need to like think about, you know, how to work together like that. Um, I just have an, immen an, an immense amount of respect for her and uh, we think we both trust each other a lot. And again, like as, as we write together and as that kind of brings up to things where she'll bring something out in me that I wouldn't do and vice versa. Um, you know, she might have an idea in the studio that would be different than I might be thinking. But um, in general, we both just found the roles that we needed to, to do that weren't really hard at all. Um, and my music over the years that I've recorded is also in lots of different genres. So I'm, I'm not really, I don't really think I'm, you know, I'm not feeling like I just kept recording the same. I did good solo piano and I've got children's music, some jazz music. So it wasn't like I just do it one way and that's it. Um, so that, that part wasn't really a okay. challenge at all. Well, for me, it's a lot more freeing than um, I'm used to because I'm not the prodigy that he is at piano. I can play and I, I accompany my students and 
Um, but when it comes to composition, especially for some of these seemingly simpler songs, I was always limited to what my small little hands could do. And so it's been very nice to be like, okay, I want this and describe it and mm. give him a chord structure and just watch him go. Okay. <laughs> it's been kind of like a miracle. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, she's really, her ear is stronger than mine as far as hearing a certain frequency or maybe something being flat or sharp. Um, where my ear is more attuned to a musical, uh, to an instrument or to an arrangement. So she was great with kind of taking on the role of like, you know, hearing our vocals and making sure that they were true and that they sounded as good as they could sound. Um, and then my role kind of fell more just to the overall kind of structure of everything and producing it, you know, more from that, where I think of arrangement, arranging and also how I want the audience to hear things. Yeah, it was definitely a micro and macro um relationship in the studio at least yeah i was going to say it sounds like everything was very complimentary and just because joshua i think the expression that you used before was different ideas and so i think the two of you complimented each other nicely it wasn't a case of well just because we had different ideas didn't mean that it was contentious no and i think it's actually the opposite which is what has been so wonderful about you know knowing Kari and working with her and, and everything that's come to pass is that I think that alone we haven't been as strong as we are together. I think actually mm. I'm speaking for her, but I, mm -hmm. we've done so much work on our own. Um, and I know for myself, it's been kind of a lonely and frustrating road. And together, I think we're actually uh, a stronger force musically and creatively. Nice. It's been much more fun for me to do that than most other projects I've done. Just, it's just, um, so yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm going somewhere with this, so follow me on where I'm heading. I saw this morning on Instagram that the two of you performed last night. What and where was that? It was a private party for um, a benefit for something called the Bridge House in Boulder, which um, deals with homeless people and victims of domestic abuse, um, a very prevalent and privately funded um nonprofit here in Boulder. And so they had their first since COVID kind of open benefit concert, dinner, wine tasting okay. and all of that. Okay. And they asked to, um, provide some music from our album. So we did. Great, great. Well, where I was going with that was what are the plans for Take Two as it relates to getting out and doing shows to promote this new album now that the world, or at least our country, has opened back up for business, including live entertainment? Yeah, and thank goodness for that. We're so excited that that's coming back and Broadway's opening back up. It's just been so hard for the arts. It's, it's, already, it's, already, it's already so hard for the arts, so let alone how hard it was this past year. Um, and all the people around the arts that get affected by it economically as well. So it's been really great to see that. Um, we're just gearing towards finding clubs that cater towards the kind of music that we really that we, that we um, perform. And it's a little bit of a challenge because, as I said, the jazz world has changed. And so we kind of contact people and say, hey, here's our music. And sometimes it's almost too simple and too reminiscent of such a great time. that They're almost like, wait a minute, that's not weird or edgy or, you know. So it's just about mm. finding those places where people go to hear this kind of music. And I think as we do it more, um, we'll keep finding our niche because I, I really firmly believe that this kind of music, like I said earlier, is timeless and people really want to hear it. Um, it's just kind of sometimes a little bit of a challenge to find the places where they do want to go to hear it. So... We'll continue that and we'll continue finding those kind of house party things that we do and um, 
you know, like the listening room environment, which there's only yeah. two listening rooms in the Denver area, um, both of which we performed at. So that that was really neat because people actually listen. go there to listen. Yeah, they're not talking. They're there to actually enjoy what you're performing. And so that's a really unique environment as opposed to kind of like the after bar scene, um, which we both played at separately and is not nearly as fun as, <laughs> as kind of the quaint and class of a listening room. I almost feel like we have a job of trying to educate or persuade or or explain that we have this thing available, the style of music that we know you want so please come here and we just have to find the places to perform where we can be. The conduit is the club itself where we can be, where we can get people to come see us. Um, but I, I know that when we have performed in listening room environments, people respond really, really well. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different than if we were just doing a more uh, simple kind of style of music or uh, a more edgy kind of thing or something that you can just kind of go anywhere. Or if we were happy to be doing background stuff, but we really would like to be places where people just like the old days actually would go to places where they would like to sit and be entertained and watch and, and take in what's happening. So, but it brings up a question that this came up in May on episode 378 when my guest was Luke Potter, who has rebooted as an artist calling himself heckle. And I asked him now that you've launched this new artist project, are you going to go out and just perform heckle original music or would you do some of your Luke Potter originals or would you do a show consisting of both? And he actually left because he said, I guess I hadn't considered that yet. I haven't gotten to that point yet because things haven't, he's in the UK and things haven't opened up enough yet for him to consider going out Mm. and doing live shows. But in the case of take two, Somebody could say, well, you have this album that has 12 songs on it. Does that mean your entire show is going to consist of those 12 songs and that's it? Or is it, you know, Joshua, would you pull out some of your originals from before? Or would the two of you just learn other standards? What would that look like? No, we have a repertoire of, uh, we have a repertoire of enough songs to certainly do long sets of music, at least two to three hours. Um, And we're, Right now, our playlist, I'm looking at our iPad where we store all our gig music, and we have 142 songs. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so it's no problem at all. Yeah, and we're always discovering new songs. And like I said, we're already writing. We're in, We're halfway into our next album already. So for both of us alone and certainly together, we've never had a problem having enough music to play. For us, the challenge is finding the places where they would like us to play so we can share this gift of songs that we really love sharing with people. I see. I see. Or even last time performing, they were like, we want um kind of a, a summer samba background. And I was just cracking up because I was like, can you make like summertime into a samba? And he's like, sure. I was like, great. But we hadn't really rehearsed it, but it, we turned it into a samba. And what else? I'll be seeing you, which is such a classic. We literally made it into a samba. So it'd be like wow. background in. <laughs> wow. Well, let's back up a few years and have Joshua update the audience on what you've been up to since you were last on Now Hear This Entertainment, which was January 2018, when you were based in Washington, D.C. Sure. Well, um, I finished, uh, I was just at a time where I needed to kind of get out of D.C. I'd been there for a really, really long time. I had done a lot of composing and recording, a lot of teaching, um, of kids, which I've done for a long time as Kari as well, with musical theater and, and piano. And it just felt like it was time to uh, finally go to a place I'd always wanted to, which was New York City, 
um, which was very eye-opening, somewhat sobering in terms of seeing kind of how people on Broadway and who are successful have to always find their second act, no pun intended, where you can be on Broadway one month and then the next year you're teaching kids tap dancing. And it's just kind of like seeing the reality of the music business from that point of view. But it was very fun. Um, it was great to be in the city. I really love Manhattan. Um, I'm really fortunate that I left just before COVID hit, so I didn't have to go through that hardship there. Mm. Um, and then a strange series of Kristen turns took me to Colorado, where I uh, recorded and released another solo piano album, a Christmas solo piano album, and met Kari, and has since then been working with her, helping her businesses as a teacher and an administrative um, assistant kind of person. And working together musically. So that's kind of in a nutshell the last three or four years of my life. And when was that, Joshua, that you relocated to Colorado? I came out here two years ago, so it would have been 2019, yeah. Okay, okay. So I must must have talked to you right before I went to the city, right before I went to New York. Right. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Boulder, Colorado, by the musical duo Take Two. They are Joshua Rich and Kari Krakovic. Their new album is called Under the Yellow Umbrella, and you can purchase it from iTunes. Find them online at take2tunes.com. That's the number two, take2tunes.com. They are also on Instagram. It is at take2tunes, and again, the number two. You can also visit joshuarich.com for more about him, and there's a link at the bottom of that site to Joshua on Facebook. Shortly, we will be talking about Kari and Real Kids, but know that you can go to myrealkids.com for more information on her and that. It's R-E-E-L, myrealkids.com. Incidentally, if you have not noticed, there seems to be a trend in the podcasting world of using the word follow, moving away from the word subscribe, so as not to imply cost. Some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Joshua and or Kari. Thank you, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you will hit the subscribe or the follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one, and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. Incidentally, I will have a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net to my previous interview with Joshua, as well as the episode that I mentioned before with Luke Potter. Kari, go ahead and tell us all about Real Kids, what that is, and how it came to be. Well, Real Kids was kind of an accident, actually. (laughs) Um, I have come from the world of academia and teaching in the university setting, a very strange form of music theory um, called post-tonal music theory is my specialty. And um, got really burnt out in academia pretty quickly and subsidized my creative I don't know, outlet by working at a local theater and soon found out that I much preferred being in that environment than maybe teaching in front of a classroom. So uh, a couple of parents of private students that I was teaching them boys to at the time um, came to me with checkbooks and said, start your own thing. Mm. And I went, are you kidding me? Wow. (laughs) Okay. And so I bought an existing trade name and a very large sign and uh, redid a ba- an original Bath and Body Works uh, space and put a film mm. set and a 
big stage for musicals and a very large tech room where we teach all the film back behind the scenes, kind of the editing softwares and such. Well, if you want to send that couple my way, uh, I can put their money to good use too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ironically, we're expanding the same, the same couple of parents are like, so <laughs> you want to continue that trend? <laughs> but it's been, it's been a glorious eight, almost nine years. Amazing. Amazing. Now, Joshua, when, when you were last on the show, you were about five months into a contract with a jazz record label. Now here you are today talking about doing the American Songbook. I'm tempted to ask you, what has it been like to change genres? But you're also using the word jazz here and there as we've been talking. So is it fair to ask you what it's been like to change genres? Or is it a case of, I don't really see it that way, Bruce? Well, I use jazz in a way that, to me, is bringing up the songbook of the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, some musicians will say jazz and it means something completely different. So i am come from an old-fashioned understanding and world of that music that I personally prefer. It's much more melodic and accessible. Um, and, I, and I also think there's a jazzy element to everything I write. So other than my solo piano which tends to have, I think, a little more of a classical foundation, even though I'm not classically trained. Um, but it's more in the George Winston kind of ambient Liz story genre um, or style. Otherwise, my children's music and film scoring I've done and adult contemporary music all can have a jazziness to it. So, no, I haven't really switched genres technically as far as like the or like the real structure underneath what I do. But this is a specific style of music. Um, and no, it's not really, it, like I was saying earlier, that hasn't felt like I'd really had to switch gears. Um, and I think that's partly just because we both have such a love for this music that it was very easy to just, you know, be in that form of it. We both have loved this music for so long that it's just in our blood. So it's not like it was really having to switch gears in that way. It's just paying attention to a different style that we already really both really enjoyed. I hope that answers the question. I'm hearing a passion in both of your voices when you talk about the style of music that you're doing, that the term nowadays is old soul, but I think you said it best earlier when you said we were born in the wrong time period. Yeah, you know, you can always romanticize and you go back in history and you find what was really what it really was like for people during certain periods of time. You you see it might not be quite as romantic, but looking back, I think the elegance and the style at the very least of that time period is certainly uh, real. And, you know, you associate the black and white movies and, you know, less parking meters and just a little bit of a simpler time. And yeah, we both feel like we would have thrived in that kind of environment. And I <laughs> still sort of believe in reincarnation. So sometimes I think maybe we were in that time period and now we're just coming back in our new lifetime to recreate it somehow for other people. Cause I've always, we both have always had a real strong resonance with that time period, as if we had actually, you know, been living in it. So hopefully it doesn't sound too wacky, but... Okay, so <laughs> then I wonder, being that you have access to the theater world, will you make one or more music videos for anything from the new album? Because I can just kind of picture that these are two people, two artists, that would eat up the opportunity to, quote-unquote, act out these songs on film, even if they were black-and-white music videos. Is that in the plans or no? Well, actually, the song um, Under the Yellow Umbrella, I have been 
very slowly <laughs> um, animating. Ah. So that's where I'm going with that. I feel, I feel like it would just get it's such a it's such a sweet and almost in a weird. I don't have a good word for it. Not hokey, but cute. It's such a cute little imagery, and um, mm. I love that side of the tech as well. And so, getting my tablet out and painting little pictures of umbrellas and then making the umbrellas spin and just all that side of it. So I would love to release that in the next, well, in the next couple months. Um, but yeah, there's always been talk of, we both write uh, musicals and plays as well. We haven't written one together. Um, so that's always been something we've talked about. Yeah, that's actually, and it's a great idea. And I was just laughing when, you, when Kari was talking because we, I have a, children's album that I made some time ago called Trying Vegetables and she's creating animation for that and we want to turn it into a children's book. Um, I have screenplays. Uh, we have a musical we have been trying to write to finish together to present to schools to perform. Um, we have the new album. We have Christmas Fire. music. Hmm? Music Fire. Right. We just finished music. We wrote music together last summer for an original play. Um, and then in addition, you know, she's running these businesses and I'm, I'm assisting her so we're teaching. So it's just, it's just wow. time. It's finding time yeah. to do all the creative things. We we came into the new year with this list of things we're going to do this year. And we're hardly, you know, getting through the beginning of it because it's just, there's so much to do. And it really does just take so long. I mean, Kari is brilliant with editing and working with that software. And it just still, it just takes forever to get things done. So yeah, we'd love to get some things out there. And our goal for this year would definitely be getting at least a couple of things to promote the style of music. And again, just in that wholesome kind of whimsical way that yeah. the musical, the music um, resonates with. So. Well, and that actually flows nicely into my next question, which is I realized that we did talk a little bit before about trying to get some bookings, but just kind of bigger picture because I'm asking this, there's a potential teaching moment here for anyone listening who is an aspiring performer. The style of music that Take Two is doing seemingly would appeal to an older crowd. So what are you doing to put yourselves in a position to get your music to that audience specifically? You know, that's a great question because it's not actually true per se. <laughs> um, you would think so. But just like we have kids that we teach in their early teens, Huge fans of Bob um, Seeger and Billy Joel and the Beatles. Uh, I just started teaching a, a fifteen a fifteen year old girl yesterday. She loves the Beatles. She's discovered them just like I did at about the same age. She her face lit up just like my used to when I first discovered them. And to her, wow. the Beatles are just as fresh as they were to me. And even me, I was uh, a little bit past when they had already broken up when I first discovered them. Um, so. In that vein, I think this music actually resonates with all different ages. I don't think it's really just the age of the people that grew up with it, which is partly what makes it so timely. Well, and I hate to say this, but the um, different social media outlets, primarily TikTok, has really uh, reinvigorated a lot of these old standards. So now, you know, my very just your typical teen is asking to sing fly me to the moon because wow. you heard it on TikTok. Wow! And so there's a reinvigoration of songs, you know, they know 60 seconds of it, but Hey, <laughs> it made them completely aware of a genre that they would never have heard before. And, and to add to that, as every artist, when they sort of get out of the pop world, because the pop world on the radio has this sort of strange shelf, like, four to six to maybe eight years in your prime as a pop artist, you get to be on the radio. And then once you pass that, 
even if you're still making new music, like Paul Simon has been creating new music for the last 20 or 30 years, he's never on the radio. Um, and I mean, you might find him on Spotify, but he's not, no, he's no longer on terrestrial radio. You sort of get kicked out of that world. Um, but you keep composing, but those artists like a Rod Stewart will then make an album of standards. Yeah. Just like Linda Ronstadt in the eighties, it was kind of out of the radio. She went to the standards. Um, so that's another thing. And then one last thing is that I discovered this music when I was in my teens and I loved it. And that, and when I was in my teens, this music was at least 30 or 40 years old already. So I'm an example of somebody who it doesn't matter what your age is really, if you love this music, you love it. And Michael Buble, who is now in his forties, probably, but when he came out, he was in his twenties or thirties. Um, and Harry Connick Jr. You know, I think, I really, again, I think the music's timeless and I think it gets rediscovered with every generation, a la the Beatles. I mean, literally this girl yesterday is, um, I mean, 15 years ago, it was like, what's so weird, like 2000, whatever it was. Um, you know, the Beatles have, have literally not been out there for 45 years or so, or 50 years, even in some cases. And yet people are listening to them as if they're on the radio today. So I think if the music's great, I think if it touches your soul, I think if it moves your heart, it will be around forever, which is why all the music from the 70s is so, so popular and this American songbook as well. Yeah, well said. And I like the Michael Buble and Harry Connick Jr. examples. And Joshua, you hit the nail on the head, as so many other guests have said, that if it's a great song, it's going to go over well and that's all you have to know as the creator of that music. And yes, the business part of you does have to worry about how we're going to get it out. But in other words, it starts with a good song, just like any other genre. So uh, very well said. I wonder, though, as two people who are really so devoted to this album that you've put out, Joshua, you've said a couple times now that you've already got new material written towards another album that will come in the future. How challenging is it or how anticlimactic is it perhaps to be these recording artists who all of a sudden have to put all that to the side and say, well, now we got to go work with kids Monday through Friday, nine to five. It's a whole different animal. <laughs> oh, this just makes me laugh. Well, for instance, I, I don't even know when we, re- we released our album I, a couple months ago. In May. Um, I didn't even have the time to make a little social media post that it was released because we were in the middle of Cabaret and Legally Blonde and God knows how many junior shows and high school musicals and our 25 students each and hiring new faculty for the summer and dealing with the faculty that we're not hiring back and just so much um, that I literally just forgot to announce it and it wasn't (laughs) until my cousin's like, oh, it's so cool you're on Spotify. (laughs) <laughs> Two weeks ago, I was like, oh, my God, I never made that post. <laughs> so it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's probably the reason why, as much as I sit here and say, it would be really cool to see the two of you release a music video done in the way that I described, that, Kari, when you say I'm trying to do a little bit of animation for Under the Yellow Umbrella, that animation is probably like 11 o'clock, you're sitting in bed with your iPad, and you say, it's 11 o'clock, I can't be starting this now, I should be going to sleep. Well, it's usually about 1 a.m., and I do it for about an hour and a half, and then I'm like, okay, (laughs) no amount of wine makes this this okay right now. We need to go to bed. Wow, wow. Well, Kari, I want to go back to something I read back in the intro, which was the statement that you found that your niche in the composition world was not to have a niche, but rather never limit yourself or others. I'd just love to hear you talk about that a little bit. 
Well, it actually came out of me being rejected from University of Colorado's DMA program. I applied to five different DMA programs um, actually across the world, including University of Stockholm. And the only one I didn't get into was the one that was the local one, like my safety school was the only one that I didn't get into. Hmm. And I was so upset. <laughs> so I uh, called the committee and I was like, listen, here's my acceptance letters. And they're like, we really think that you need to really focus. You know, we were disappointed that during your master's, you took on all these different projects. You started a children's choir. You worked 8 million hours at the theater. Now you have a voice studio. You still teach math. They're like, you just need to compose. You, do, you need to be a symphony composer, basically. And that's kind of what they were on. They were hoping that I would only do. And meanwhile, I'm putting on huge productions with multimedia art and whatever. And they're like, you know, come back to us next year when you've really honed in on this symphony skill. Mm. And I went, yep, that's right. I'm never going to come back. (laughs) Like, no, thank you. I did continue to teach for them. Um, But that might be why that went a little sour. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I found I found out real quickly that that was the last thing I wanted to do. And those, you know, tangential jobs were just as important as teaching music theory in a classroom. And I didn't think one was more important than the other. Um, And so I like professing that to my students. And Real Kids really is a collaborative art center. It's not just film. It's not just theater. It's not just writing. It's it's kind of everything. And I encourage students to try everything, even if they're not good at it, Um, because they might really enjoy it. It might make them have different outlets in life that they wouldn't even know they would have. Okay, just to put a nice bow on it, which school did you end up choosing? <laughs> um, one in Sweden, actually. <laughs> and I did not complete. I came back. Okay, I was going to say, did you physically go there or was it online? But... Yeah. Yeah. No, I physically was in Stockholm for um, a couple months. I, I got pretty sick. So I returned to the States and thus haven't left. <laughs> And for the audience who is just being introduced to you, your last name, your heritage is actually... Norwegian. Almost 100%. Attended school in Sweden, but but Norwegian heritage, and here you are in Colorado. (laughs) I know, very strange. (laughs) It it makes you that much more interesting. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Well, we're going to close today with another song from the new album by Take Two. It is the title track, which, folks, you've heard Kari refer a couple times to this one, Under the Yellow Umbrella. Before I let you both go and I play that song, share with the audience all about this track, please. Uh, This is another one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, If I'm pressed, I probably could find something about each song that I would call my favorite. (laughs) Uh, I think it was one of of the earliest... uh, that's like that old joke with somebody says, what's your favorite song? And the artist says, the one that I'm about to write or the one I'm working on now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is one of the first ones that we worked on together. And I, I'm i trying to remember the actual beginning. Of well, the I wanted to, I, I have this bright yellow umbrella. Um, and I have a bunch of photos of this bright yellow umbrella. And it was one of those really rainy, sleety, like midwinter days. Um, and we were cooped up and we had tea and I, I'm mulling spice. And it was just, it was a very kind of romantic setting. Um, and I was like, I, I want to write something called Under the Yellow Umbrella. And Joshua said, you can't. Nothing rhymes with umbrella. And I went, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> and so needless to say, we found lots, 
that rhymes with umbrella and we made up things that yeah, we don't some, rhyme. With some words that don't rhyme that we made up to make rhyme. But yeah, so that, <laughs> and that's a great example of what I was talking about earlier. That she would just say, let's write this song about this thing. And my first thought is like a more structured composer would be like, you can't do that. Like, that doesn't make sense. More just like, I don't know how to. And it would be out of my comfort zone completely. But then lo and behold, you know, an hour or so later, we'd have this wonderful song that we're really super proud of. So that's the story behind that one. <laughs> Carousella and Hotella. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first one that came to my head is Fella. Yep. Well, yeah. we did that. That was, that was the first one. We went to the easy ones right away. But uh, I, we found if you take away the O W and you make it A, you have a lot more freedom to find words that rhyme with umbrella than Brella. Cinderella, yeah. Lapella. So. <laughs> anyway. Well, I want to encourage the listeners not only to get under the yellow umbrella the album. But I also want to encourage you to stay with Take Two online because maybe there will be a video or two. And certainly it sounds like there's going to be another album at some point. Are CDs physically available for Under the Yellow Umbrella or is it just digitally through iTunes? Just digitally. CDs are not really the platform that most artists are using anymore. They're kind of going away. So we're just releasing things digitally at this point. So, yeah, all, all digitally available. Okay. Easy to stream, easy to Add to your Spotify playlist. I figured that was the case, but better safe than sorry. Sure. Joshua, Kari, it's been wonderful having you both on the show. Congratulations on the new album, and thank you for making time to be on Now Hear This Entertainment with the very busy schedules that you both have. <laughs> thank pleasure. you for having us. Thank you, Robin. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to pianist, composer, and vocalist Joshua Rich and composer, entrepreneur, and educator Kari Krakovic. Together, they are the musical act Take Two. Visit their website at taketwotunes.com. That's the number two, taketwotunes.com, and I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Follow them on Instagram as well. It's at taketwotunes, and again, the number two, taketwotunes. Remember that their new album, Under the Yellow Umbrella, is out on iTunes. Please support them by purchasing a download of that release. You can also visit joshuarich.com for more on him, including a link at the bottom of that site to his music page on Facebook. In addition, myrealkids.com, R-E-E-L, myrealkids.com, is where you can go to learn more about what you heard Kari talk about in that regard. Let me also repeat that some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Joshua and or Kari, and I thank you for that, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new-ish will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you'll hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one. And stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to my first interview with Joshua, which I will have a link to on the website as well. For now, that will do it for episode 387. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Take Two. This is the one they just talked about called Under the Yellow Umbrella. On a rainy day, I saw you come my way As the thunderclouds above began to pour a dancing silhouette Rhythm to your style Unaware my heart began to soar That's when your eyes met mine And we became the melody To one another
Under the yellow umbrella, Mr. I just have to tell you, it was clear this dame sure was one of a kind. We took a stroll in tandem, he and I, as sunbeams started dancing in the sky. Under the yellow umbrella, we sang a love song a cappella. And a harmony in perfect common time As I gazed upon your face I could sense the tempo race And the feel of your embrace was so sublime Cinderella in a smoky gray lapella inspired a ragtime lullaby in the distance a pastella horse twirled on a carousel in a shriek of all of metered old French time spinning as if in a dream so magical it seemed And the schedule in cut time Under the yellow umbrella Over tea at the hotel Evermore to be each other's valentine It seemed to the coda and the schedule in cut time under the yellow umbrella, evermore to be each other's valentine. 